Welcome to the Second Renaissance podcast, where we decode the rebirth of human creativity in a technology-driven world. I'm Anders Sumanilson, global futurist, author, and the co-creator of the Adobe CQ, the IQ test for your creative leadership, and your host for the Second Renaissance. We are... Now live with uh, Lisa Andrews, uh, an entrepreneur extraordinaire and a tech visionary who is the uh, co-CEO of Singularity University Australia. Welcome to the Second Renaissance, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. And I think it's kind of like illustrative here that um, we're Zooming and you've got this amazing beach behind you. I think that just tells us that technology has become our lifeline and that today, courtesy of exponential technologies that you espouse, you know, we can hang out from anywhere. Absolutely. And I've certainly uh, given you the view today. It is a very, very good view. Where, where are you calling in from? Just uh, so our listeners and viewers can, can, can make sense of the beautiful visual backdrop. This is Newcastle Beach. And so it's a two-hour drive north of Sydney, and I grew up here. And uh, funnily enough, through COVID, I gravitated back home for the lifestyle move and stopped wearing shoes. Because your lifestyle was was very very global pre uh, pre pandemic. Am I am I right? You, you spent a lot of your time in the Silicon Valleys, the San Francisco's, and uh, and the, the you know the thought leadership hubs of tech innovation around the world prior to prior to the pandemic definitely definitely the last two years prior to the pandemic i spent no more than four or five nights in one location more than four or five times so silicon valley was a base for a long time it was one of those only times i had the pleasure of living on the nasa campus in mountain view which was super cool being at the hub of innovation and technology I did get the opportunity to live in a share house in Palo Alto where people were creating technologies out of the garage, which was super cool, interesting, glad I've done it. I don't want to do it again, uh, getting that global perspective. So lots of time on planes. And it's kind of interesting. I mean, you, you, you hear about how, you know, technology is sort of, you know, decentralizing, uh, you know, the central business district is, is no longer, you know, a physical geographic location, but, you know, the, the pandemic and the technology, you know, such as Zoom and, and other types of technologies that keep our digital minds connected have, have sort of decentralized talent um, around the world and that, you know, at the same time, you're also seeing that, you know, the likes of San Francisco and Los Angeles with Silicon Beach, for example, are becoming too expensive. So people are also, you know, physically moving to other locations where startup activities uh, are happening. Are you seeing anything interesting in, in Newcastle at the moment when it comes to, to, to startup and exponential technologies being launched? I love that you say the geographic location of Newcastle. I'm not actually sure about anything that's happening in Newcastle at the moment because I haven't really left the house too much except to go for walks or to the gym and stay out where there's plenty of fresh air and away from other humans. But the thing that I love the most is that we've actually democratised technology. So in Newcastle, you actually have no idea at the moment what people are up to. They would have no idea that I'm actually live here and recording with yourself and the availability of technology that it's opened up worlds for everybody. 
and I'm not sure if anyone can remember or has tried to Skype with their family 10 years ago, the connection was often quite difficult. And so with exponential technologies and it's that computational capacity, Moore's law where the computational capacity doubles every two years and it gives us the ability to have these secure connections where you're not dropping in and out and asking for every second word because you can only catch half of the story. So this kind of thing has now opened up complete worlds and also so many uh, access to education and technology and information that you have no idea what your next door neighbours are doing anymore. <laughs> there you go. Even through, you know, Internet of Things and, and, and cameras and, and uh, Russians hacking, you know, home cameras and all the rest and streams being sold on, on the dark web scarily, right? This is the, 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 the dark underbelly of the internet. Hopefully no one's watching. Um, I just put the creepy view on Newcastle, didn't I? Sorry, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The creepy <laughs> underbelly of the Newcastle uh, World Wide Web. But um, uh, I am curious, you know, we, we, you sort of spoke about... <laughs> not exponential creepiness, but exponential technologies. Um, you've got this fantastic finance brain, and I'm sure we'll get back to this, you know, throughout today's conversation. Um, but let's just get some basics right so that all our listeners can, can tap into this, you know, and remember maybe year nine or year 10 maths, uh, exponentiality versus linear thinking. And, and just to give us a, you know, a bit of a background of how, how the two compare and why, exponentiality is such a crucial concept? Yes, definitely. And that's a great question because the word exponential gets thrown around a lot and it's actually a mathematical formula. So exponential is 2, 4, 8, 16, 32. It's the doubling effect. And if you compare the linear uh, way, I guess the best example I can give is let's take 30 linear steps. It will probably get you 30 metres across the room to the other side of the room. But if you take 30 exponential steps, so 1, 2, 4, 8, 16, every time you take a step, you're doubling. After 30 steps, you're actually 26 times around the earth. And so that concept, I think, when you think about the way that our brains have evolved with technology, and as soon as you use exponential and technology in the same sentence, is when it gets... The, uh, I think the ability to predict those technologies of the future and what could happen in the next 30 years is quite exponential. Yeah, so I'm just thinking, I mean, it's often been said that, you know, like human mindsets are, are frequently quite linear. What have we learned about exponentiality in, in the last, you know, 12 months during the pandemic? Because, you know, all of a sudden we were all attuned to these, you know, curves that just literally went through, uh, you know, the screens that we were watching the development of the, you know, pandemic spread. Can I, can I start and take you back 70,000 years first? That'd be awesome. So our linear brains, and if you think about the way that we evolved, is from the step from sapiens to homo sapiens, where we actually become intelligent, happened about 70,000 years ago. And when we actually look at where we were in the uh, the food chart back then, we we're in the middle. So lions and tigers, and there are all these different dangerous animals out there, and humans were typically hunters and gatherers. And as we've evolved and we've gotten smarter, we've created tools, and it's put us to the top of the food chart. And with any of those animals that have been at the top in the past, they've often been quite wise. 
And so in The Lion King, most people are familiar when Simba comes in, they actually have the ecosystem balance and they know how much of each animal and you know how to actually maintain this ecosystem. And when we became smart and got tools, humans were able to create new social structures and increase our quality of living. We ended up farming and the agricultural revolution enabled our population to grow exponentially over time. And so it was only, uh, only I think, 150, 200 years ago that kings and queens could impact a billion people. And 100 years ago, it was the industrialists. And today it's you and me because of this access to technology. And so being able to keep up with that speed of change is quite significant to be able to then create these mental frameworks of how can we actually have make a difference and then also create this ecological balance. And last year with COVID, I like to think of the, uh, the analogy that we actually went back to our scarcity mindset. If you think about January, we had bushfires in Australia. In February, we had floods. In March, we dubbed it the great toilet paper panic where everyone was worried again about where their next meal was coming from or having fights and arguments in supermarkets. And so going back to that scarcity mindset was such a big shift because we didn't know our future. And when we start to talk about an abundance mindset, typically that means that we can predict six months into the future. We can think about the next project that we're going to be working on. We can think about the a job change or a holiday that we might be going on to, but we're in this base needs are met, we can actually start to plan out six months. And then when we start to talk about an exponential mindset, we're actually, we're looking at that 10 year time frame of what is technology going to do in the next 10 years and how is it going to impact our lives and industries and businesses in every single way. So the shifts with COVID have been great to be able to get us all online. There's pros and cons in everything, but I think that adoption of technology has certainly increased. So if people tend to kind of think, you know, linearly and, um, you know, not always in this sort of, you know, with this mindset of, you know, 30 linear steps means that, you know, we circumnavigate the world at a, you know, at a very rapid clip. Um, do you think people started understanding exponentiality a little bit more as they studied these, you know, COVID charts that were being blasted on, on television? Uh, 24 7 365 last year we typically don't need to explain the mathematical formula anymore when we saw the increase in the exponential chart on television everywhere everywhere uh, i think if you actually um if you take a, a view of zooming out and looking at the macro view and then zooming back in again i think a lot of us being home have had to tap into that bigger picture view and understand where we're at what other countries are doing Whereas typically in the past, we were just going along with our day-to-day -day lives. And so being able to zoom out is great to be able to understand what's happening in the world. And I'm certainly grateful that we're in Australia. I don't think there's anywhere else I'd rather be in the entire world to um, think about how that we actually approach the pandemic. So the government coming out and looking for the most vulnerable first, stimulus packages, job keeper, job seeker, making sure everyone had their base needs met. I remember watching the television and seeing you know army vehicles rolling out into new york and then in australia our army were packing groceries at Woolworths and coles and i just thought you know it's just a different place and we're so remote compared to the rest of the world physically yet digitally we can be so connected so i'm, I'm curious 
you know, the exponentiality or the abundance mindset at, at Singularity University, you know, this gets espoused, you know, like what, what are some examples of this? Because, you know, you hear this kind of like, oh, you got the wrong mindset or you got the right mindset. Like, how do we concretize this for, for, for entrepreneurs or, you know, parents, grandparents, students? Like, what, what is this abundance mindset all about? And, you know, what, what can we... What can we achieve with it? How can we, you know, grasp, you know, this, this, this lofty terminology? I don't think there's ever the wrong mindset. I think it's always exactly where you're at at the time and understanding that. And I love to think about individually, like, are you actually, do you have abundance in each area of your life? And then can you show up for your business and for others? And that impact being yourself and your immediate family, your extended friends and family, local community, your country and the world and relate that to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And, you know, do we actually have shelter and food and water and all the rest? And in Australia, we're very lucky to have a lot of those things, but in a mindset of, um, you know, are we actually grateful and then do we self-actualize and have more to give? And so I like to think about it, that we exist at the intersection of humanity and technology. And then how do we actually then apply that? And so I'll give you the, my favorite analogy at the moment. I've gone down this huge rabbit hole. I don't know if it's because I was just completely bored sometimes last year through COVID, but superhero movies. And I love sci-fi movies. And it's incredible looking back at some of the sci-fi movies over time that have predicted so many technologies like Minority Report or The Matrix, uh, maybe not predicting all the technologies, but sci-fi movies, uh, science fiction is becoming science-backed. And if you actually think about some of your favorite superheroes, actually, Endis, what's your favorite superhero from when you were younger? Do you have one? Ooh, uh, there's um, there's so many. Um, I would probably say that you know, like like yourself, you know, I'm a I'm a science science fiction geek. So um, you know, as a, as a child of the '80s, you know, I think Luke Skywalker certainly was. Uh, you know, was a, you know, a sci-fi hero, you know, an adventurer that for me, um, you know, espoused some great, you know, values and courage. So I think that was probably um, the closest um, person to sort of, you know, to touch my heart. And it's probably still an inspiration today. I love that. I have been um, going down the, the track. I loved Iron Man. And Iron Man to me, I think about Jarvis and he had this information, the world's information at his fingertips. It was incredible how, for me, he was actually a normal human being that utilized technology and then was able to help solve some of the world's biggest challenges. And if you think about who your favorite superhero character was and, you know, what they actually did, a lot of people say Superman or uh, Astro Boy comes up a little bit, you know, being the little bit robot and uh, having rocket boots. I totally love rocket boots. And, you know, we're actually seeing Rocket Man now. There's, there's people that have jetpacks and rockets that are actually doing first responders and rescuing people um, similar to like the Westpac rescue helicopter does here in Australia. They're actually um, first responding with rocket packs. And I just think about how those trends over time your favorite superhero movie, you can actually be that superhero now. And what I love about Iron Man is that he's got this future of perfect knowledge concept. This Jarvis, he wakes up in the morning, Jarvis, what do we need? And, you know, checks in and he actually relate that to the planet and think about the planet as spaceship Earth. 
where we've got everything on board that we need and we're traveling through the universe, how do we actually have this future of perfect knowledge and be able to understand what the world needs and then how we can use our own personal superpowers to then contribute to those biggest challenges? So the, yeah, sorry, you go. Adding it a little bit to at home and the inspiration that we can have to actually help solve big global challenges, then the basis of exponential technology and singularity U, what I love is that anything that's based on that computational capacity is doubling every two years in line with Moore's law. So nanotechnology, bionics, robotics, artificial intelligence, synthetic biology, network sensors, AR, VR, they're actually getting exponentially better every single year. And that's where it gets interesting. And so just give us, um, I mean, we're touching on subjects here though, of exponentiality, technologies, you know, we might even touch upon the coming singularity potentially, and you know the the rise of of, of med tech. These are very you know futuristic conversations. Just give us a, a super brief sort of history and 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 the purpose and the mission of Singularity University as an organization, and just how how you kind of got involved with with Singularity University and how you represent them in Australia. Yeah, excellent. So the mission is to educate, empower, and inspire leaders to use exponential technology to solve humanity's grand challenges. And that is, uh, in a nutshell, leaders, every single person is a leader, whether it's just in your family household, whether it's in your business, your operation, your role, and the ability that you have now to use exponential technology and align that to, to big challenges. And so I actually first went in 2012 to the Silicon Valley campus uh, at the NASA campus there. And I walked in the door and there was this sign that said, how will you have a positive impact on a billion people in the next 10 years? And this little girl from Newcastle who had originally specialized in accounting and tax law and business services, I looked at this sign and I thought, I, I know I'm smart, but that question the scale of that question, how could I positively impact a billion people? If that's a question and other people are solving it, how could I actually solve that too? And that's what got the brain ticking over. That is, um, that is a big question. And then um, the likes of so Peter Diamandis and Ray Kurzweil were the sort of founding fathers of Singularity Question. And that's sort of been their quest, if I understand correctly. Yes, definitely. And uh, for those of you that are familiar with Ray Kurzweil, I have a huge respect and admiration for what he's been able to achieve in his lifetime. People may be familiar with the Kurzweil synthesizer and the keyboard that he invented when he was 16. They may be uh, familiar with voice to text that he invented, the flatbed scanner, so many different technologies that he's invented over his lifetime. And he was the one that was able to, when he was working at Intel, figure out from Moore's law, which is the, the law that computational capacity doubles every two years and the price performance halves, he was able to take that back since the first time that we actually used machines to assist us, which was the punch cards, and then see the doubling in impact that's happened over different technologies as it's expanded. And so now we're actually looking to keep continually doubling that's where quantum computing is coming in now. And, you know, how is that actually going to continue to then get us to that singularity, which for us is the point in time where technology has changed so much that you can no longer predict the future. 
And, and so, so I remember I was I was probably there, you know, around this a similar mark to you. And I was visiting a friend. I'd just been to to TED Global in Edinburgh, and I was visiting a, a good Swedish mate of mine who was, I think, part of one of the first cohorts at Singularity University. So I was visiting him at the uh, at the NASA ca- uh, NASA campus in um, in Mountain View as well. So I might have just missed you by by a year, but I was, you know, equally fascinated by by this organization. And and it's you know, it's truly gone global now. Just just explain how Singularity University as well has sort of decentralized to to contribute to their to their global goal of impacting at least a billion lives. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's where that empower word comes in that I love so much. And as you mentioned, I'm the co-CEO of Singularity U in Australia, and we're a country partner. So we've got eight country partners around the world and uh, expanding just into different localized area because we believe that local innovation is what's going to solve the biggest problems. And in Australia, we're quite innovative by nature. So I absolutely love the ability to be able to have the license here and put it in the right language and understand how we can solve the challenges here locally. And we have over 200,000 alumni internationally. We've got over 350 expert faculty. And in Australia, we've got 35 expert faculty now and 25,000 alumni or uh, members in our database. So uh, the, the word's getting out there and I think that's the, the opportunity that we have for me was really looking at that question of impacting a billion people and how technology is going to impact every individual and business in the next 10 years. Coming from a CFO background, it was always understand where you're at, know where you want to go, and then you create an action plan. And to be able to look into the future of 10 years in advance, a lot of large organizations are really struggling with that, with the exponential impact and being able to have to shift business models and pivot, particularly with COVID. How do we know that road ahead or how can we stay ahead of what's may going to be impacting us in all of those different technologies and the convergence of those technologies that could completely disrupt every industry? Which kind of taps into, I guess, you know, um, concepts that are adjoined to the singularity, like the fourth industrial revolution, which is this sort of convergence of, you know, digital, physical, and and, and biological systems. Um, like, so as a, as a futurist, I often get asked, oh, you know, what's your prediction? And did you predict the pandemic? And, and I say, no, futurists don't predict the future, but we do help the people we you know touch and, and impact and influence like clients we do help them prepare by you know scenario planning and also you know extrapolating directionally where the world might be moving and i know there's a famous ted talk by ray kurzweil where he sort of said that hey it's not necessarily about predicting but you know directionally you know, we could have forecast certain technologies. Uh, people often complain about the fact that, you know, if solar power is so good, why why isn't, you know, all of our houses powered by solar technology? But he says that, you know, g- given the exponentiality, we are really at the kind of knee of the curve where solar power is exactly where it's meant to be in terms of, you know, the exponential, you know, rise in efficiency. So have you, have you got any... Any thoughts on, you know, directional movements and what we can kind of expect over the next three, five, ten years in terms of, you know, some of the exponential technologies and what they might enable for us? Absolutely. And I think to get into that question, I love the idea of 
getting in a completely different mindset. And so I've been asking the question, imagine it's the year 2030 and you've just woken up, what does the world look like? And, you know, I like to think, oh, absolutely at home, you know, I would have a, a um, device that cooks all of uh, the grows, all of the food. And so you can actually go and just, you know, pick some fresh lettuce when you're making your sandwich or making your lunch or a salad. And you can actually uh, have a device that would recycle all of your plastics within your own home. And, you know, you think about the decentralization of a lot of things that are actually happening at the moment and to get into that mindset. My biggest uh, excitement about the future is networks and sensors. And so if you actually think about it at the moment, there's currently about 50 billion devices on the planet and a trillion sensors. So your iPhone and sensors, I'm wearing an aura ring, it's sensing my temperature and my sleep and, and whatnot and giving me all those stats. And in 10 years time, we're going to have 500 billion devices and 100 trillion sensors. And I'm calling it this future of perfect knowledge that you can know anything, anywhere, anytime. And so as I look at some of the different technologies that are coming, I ask the question, what do we need to know? And I first asked that question a few years ago when I was speaking at the United Nations was how many trees do we have on the planet? And we used to have 7 trillion trees and now there's about 3 trillion trees with a net deficit of 10 billion per year. And I'm like, well, that's really interesting. What can we do with that? And then you can get a little bit fun. And I thought, how many kangaroos do we have in Australia? And where are they? And you've got technology like planet.com that is circulating over 150 satellites per day and you can develop on their platform to be to a 75 centimetre resolution to be able to see in real time some of this. So the satellites that we'll have in this perfect information is going to be so relevant. And so how it's going to impact all of our lives in the future, I think about proactive healthcare. And some of us will go to the doctors if there's something wrong or they'll go and have a blood test and whatnot. We will potentially have, potentially have one of my favorite technologies is toilet technology is that we're actually going to be sequencing our genome through our toilets in the next 10 years and thinking about um, biome. So there's a business biome who's actually, you can go and you can do the test for your, your biome and understand what foods you should be eating and if you've got any uh, allergies and whatnot. Some of those things will actually happen in real time. So you'll go to the toilet, you'll have a family profile. So it'll know each person in your family and it'll be able to sequence that. And it'll be able to tell you real time your health at that moment. And so in 10 years time, you think about that and how that may disrupt healthcare, private healthcare, potentially, you know, doctors, specialists, telehealth, all of those different things when we're doing things in real time, it's going to be across every single industry. So there's some of my favorites. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, you know, and it feels like we're just at like the early dawn of this. I mean, you know, so we're based up here on, on Sydney's northern beaches. I mean, if you, if you look down the coastline here from Newcastle, it's kind of beyond one of the headlands there behind, behind Lisa. So I'll, I'll give a little wave in the background. Um, but when we had the Avalon cluster, you know, the, the pandemic breakout here uh, just pre-Christmas 2020 in Avalon and, and we, we were in shutdown mode, um, you know, we were hearing from the government uh, of, you know, sewage samples and, and seeing whether, you know, people have been shedding the virus uh, literally via their shit. Um, but of course, that's, you know, fairly anonymized. Um, they were just sort of testing, you know, at what stage could they actually detect, um, you know, um, the, you know, traces of, of the virus. But uh, you're saying that technology is going to 
be very individualized and uh, and the med tech will be on on a sort of a consumer level uh, in the individual household soon. Yeah, absolutely. I love the saying, your postcode determines your health code and your lifestyle that you're actually living. And at the moment, we've got macro data. If you think about the, the waste um, stations and the actual water testing in the treatment plants, they can measure you know, the amount of different hormone levels or you know, potentially drugs or COVID that are actually in the system in those treatment plants. And so that's typically how they get the national, uh, international health index with the healthiest cities in the world from that macro data. And then imagine that down to the individual data is going to be really interesting into the future. And that's where trust and transparency and privacy come into the question, which are two huge uh, macro themes at the moment. It's ethics around trust and transparency. And whilst we're collecting all of this data, who's using it? What are they using it for? Uh, is, it, is it in our best interest? Yeah, because I mean, it can be said that you know some of these you know consumer technologies like you know like the iPhone or like some of the wearable technologies that you're displaying at the moment that, you know, the, the, these are really, you know, really medical devices. Um, Apple with, you know, with smartwatches, et cetera, has kind of entered the medical device space, you know, hu huge market. Um, I know med tech is, is, is an area that's, you know, close to, to your heart and, you know, the area of, you know, biotechnology or where biology and technology meet uh, has a very kind of you know personal story in terms of even down to some of your body parts if if if, if you're happy to share on the spot <laughs> great intro there absolutely for our listeners i've actually had two kidney transplants so i had one when i was 17 and then i had another one at three years ago yeah four years ago now wow time flies and so I'm, I'm really conscious about my health and having a originally just for the quick backstory, I had a burst appendix. It was left in my stomach for too long. The toxins destroyed my kidneys and my mum gave me a kidney when I was 17. And then my brother, when I was 34, which super cool stories. However, at the moment we look at how we actually do these surgeries and how we measure things. And I would love to have real time blood tests and understand what my kidney function is at any time and be able to really be proactive about my health. In the future, I think we'll look back and think that the way that we did things was quite primitive because we'll have access to so much different technologies and it'll be more preventative than uh, healthcare rather than sick care. So that for me is inspiring. And it's like, how do you actually help everyone show up as their best self every day? And most of the time when we talk about these technologies, for me, it always starts at home. It starts with yourself and how you show up as your best self and then how that impacts your family, your friends and your your communities people around you i mean i, I remember uh, you know a few years ago in terms of you know proactive you know health monitoring and 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 you know down to sort of peter Drucker saying that everything that can be you know measured can be can be monitored and can be managed and hopefully you know improved ultimately and i was starting to wear these headbands at night when i at a time when i was spending a lot of time in new york and to to you know see what my REM sleep was doing and and my restorative phases of sleep etc and and um and my brother thought that my sort of quantified self experiments were ridiculous because he said you know Anders if you if you wake up the next morning and you're feeling tired you probably did not have a good night's sleep which there's you know there's 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 some wisdom in that um right um 
you know, th there's not always an app or, or a headband that needs to tell you that. Um, but at the same time, um, I think we've all been in those sort of situations where maybe we have been tired and, and just not listening to our bodies until we kind of, you know, hit a wall as well, right? This happens when, you know, we go on holidays and we become sick because we've just been, you know, running really, really fast. I think that's where human behavior comes in, right? Why do we do what we do when we know what we know? Uh, I know that uh, having a glass of champagne is probably not going to be good for me and not going to be great for my sleep. I know that, you know, eating the wrong types of food is not going to be great for me. However, sometimes it's just the right thing to do. <laughs> and so I think it's not just the data and measuring and monitoring the data is great. It's then what do you actually do with it and where's the accountability? And so for me, understanding my readiness score for the day with the aura ring and then sleep score and how to show up my, as my best self, it keeps me accountable. And I think that's the flip side sometimes with these technologies. If you think about the conversations about trust and transparency and data, if we could actually think about it in a different way of, you know, how do we actually use it as an accountability to show up as our best selves or, you know, be a good human would be fantastic. And if you think about it now, we're actually recording on Zoom where um, potentially, you know, putting it out there, Siri might be listening, uh, Alexa might be listening um, Google Home over there might be listening. We know that there's organizations that are capturing data, full stop, whether or not there might be drones out there circulating, who knows, but there's data that's being captured. And so understanding that, I think if you think back over the generations and a few generations ago, the privacy generation, it was all about privacy. And then a, a couple of generations, you know, the kids today, kids today, oh my gosh, I just said that. Uh, they don't mind and they're putting everything out on social media and they just understand that's the way that it is. And I think that we've got a really great role and responsibility now in the next 10 years as a lot of these technologies are developing and advancing that we need to set the frameworks to understand and make sure that things are ethical and that we're standing up and that we're talking about what we believe in so that we can actually have a say and protect the privacy and data of the future. And so in saying that, understanding that things are being recorded, I would highly recommend that people just assume that you're being recorded sometimes and show up. And I know that WhatsApp, there was a huge exit from WhatsApp with the privacy conversations last month. And I just like to think, you know what, I'm having really great conversations and the algorithms are probably picking up that I'm having really awesome conversations. And that's not a bad thing for me. There's not anything that I'm actually digitizing at the moment that I wouldn't be okay to say in public. So I think, you know, as we're shifting and that's a really scary thing in the next 10 years that we don't have all of those frameworks yet. I know we're predicting that brain computer, computer interfaces are going to be mainstream in the next 15 years. Most people are familiar with Elon Musk and the Neuralink. And I would highly recommend that you don't actually try it right now. Give it another 10 or 15 years until we have these quantum secure connections that are going to make it safe to do so. And that's, I guess, the responsibility that we have now with these technologies. So don't get the beta version of the, um, the microchip in your brain, in other words. <laughs> yes. Good advice there. Thanks. Yeah, well, you know, somebody's got to be on the on the bleeding or leading edge, depending on how you view it at times, right? Yeah, and I think that's where it comes back to, you know, doing what's right for you and showing up as your best self, and you know, what mm -hmm. is it that's actually going to be in your best interest at the time? And I love working with startups. There's so many really cool technologies that are just bursting out at the moment. We run quarterly boot camps and uh, on how to impact a billion people. 
We just ran one on Thursday, Friday last week. And some really cool technologies just with different AI. And uh, there's, there's a, a uh, company that we're working with, uh, Motor Science, who are actually tracking when it's safe to go to supermarkets. So they're launching in the US in the next month or two. And being able to see, like on a Google map, when you're actually, um, you know, your ETA of when you're going to arrive somewhere now, it'll actually show you a traffic light of red, orange, green of the density of people in supermarkets at the time. And so if you're in a high risk category, it will suggest that you don't go to Coles or Woolworths at five o'clock on a Saturday afternoon because that's the busiest time. I don't know if that's the busiest time, but it will actually recommend the places that you go and when it's actually safer to go. So some of these things, and typically technology comes out and it's helping people that are disadvantaged first before it goes mainstream. Uh, you know, I think that's powerful because, you know, there's there's always this fear around technology and, and there's technophobes. I have many in my family, um, for example, but um uh, you might have heard some of the stories about, you know, my toughest pro bono client, my mum, right, who who is a fierce resistant to anything novel and uh, tech based. But you know, there's kind of this sense that you know technology is cold and it's dehumanized. But I would say that there, there's a lot of examples where you know technologies, exponential technologies, digital, tend to actually make us more human. Um, where they can even reduce the inhumane consequences of human error, you know, whether that is, you know, sensors on cars or autonomous vehicles, you know, World Economic Forum forecast a few years ago that we'd be able to save 1.1 million human lives courtesy of autonomous uh, vehicles. I think at the, the point of the recording at the moment, we've lost about a million people to, to COVID-19, but as a result of other technologies, we're able to save, you know, close to the equivalent amount of, of, of human lives as a result of people, you know, uh, not having, you know, stupid accidents, for example, or, or drink driving or texting while driving and, 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 and even, you know, reducing the, you know, the impact and the, the tragic loss of lives during, you know, things like terrorist attacks, you know, for example, the, the, the Volvo smart truck and the Berlin Christmas market attack of a few years ago, back in 2016, in fact, shut down the terrorist. Um, the terrorist still had his foot on the accelerator and the, the truck shut him down after 70 meters because of the sensors, because of the ABS or the advanced braking system. Uh, he was able, or sorry, I shouldn't say he, it, the technology shut down the terrorist who still tried to hack the vehicle to take more human lives. Um, and that, you know, contrast to previous dumb technologies like the dumb truck that was deployed by another terrorist of the same organization in, in Nice in France a few months earlier where they were able to take the dumb truck for 1.6 kilometers down the Esplanade in Nice and then taking out 10, 10 times as many human lives and the tragic loss of human lives. And so I think digital technologies, they're not either good or bad necessarily. It's how we deploy them, but they have the capacity you know, to scale and to actually scale humanity. Have you got, have you got some you know, examples of how we can you know, code and design for, for better, more you know, human outcomes, courtesy of some of these, you know, superhero powers that are embedded in the technologies? Absolutely. And I think the best conversations I've had have been with my grandma 
or with my aunties and people who are just trying to understand more of what I do and sharing with them on how it's going to impact their lives. And so, for example, I was having a conversation with my nan and we were talking about hearing. And, you know, typically in life, your body gives up or your brain gives up. And so your loss of hearing or eyesight and things like that as we age, technology is going to assist us in so many different ways in that way. And I love the cam of actually, you know, they've got the glasses that have augmented assisted um, cameras that help as you're losing your eyesight to read. And it'll then connect to all of your different social media accounts and be able to tell blind people who's approaching and when they last saw them and just assist their everyday life. And similar, Orchem have the hearing aids now, which are coming out and they're rather than just turning up the volume in hearing aids that exist today, the technology is getting to the point now where it'll actually help lip read directionally so you'll look at someone you might be in a crowded room and talking with 10 people in a group and you can look at someone and it'll actually just focus in on the sound from that person to assist people to hear and I think a lot of these technologies that are coming out are really starting with the most vulnerable populations first you know sensors in beds so that in age living in care or even if you've got elderly grandparents, parents that you can actually see and help monitor them if their heart rate stopped, if they've fallen out of bed and get that notification so that you're helping support your loved ones. Some of those technologies are really exciting to be able to see how it's impacting every life. And um, then you're getting into sort of the um, mainstream. So technology then expands into different areas. As we are going through this process and looking at it on a macro view, I love to look at it and be able to see, um, imagine a smart city that knows when we're away from our baseline of happiness and can provide the support that we need when we need it. And we know that domestic violence has increased significantly through COVID. We know that there's a lot of people that are hungry actually on that. So world hunger is a really good example of that macro view of how technology is going to help solve the world's problems and remove that fear. We've currently got over 800 million people who are hungry and we know that. We talk about it. Most people know that world hunger exists, but we've never seen it. And the suffering and the devastation of people in the world at the moment is absolutely horrifying. And typically if it doesn't touch our life or we don't have a personal experience with it, we don't go and do something about it. And so seeing visuals of people that are hungry, understanding the real-time stats can really help. At the moment, we waste 30% of the world's food. We don't have a food problem. We've got a distribution problem. So imagine having visual recognition software on drones that can actually deliver meals to where they are needed or medicine. We can see at the moment there's a lot of drone technology that are sending medicine to developing nations. And so if I take a step back and look at the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, they've got their 17 areas that are all of the world's problems and the sub-targets of each area of what in detail the world's problems are. And we're really lucky in Australia in some of them because we're actually leading the way in some of these technologies. We've got a small amount of the problem in Australia, but it's not like developing nations where there's huge amount of poverty. So being able to then change and understand these problems and then create, innovate, be able to solve some of the world's problems is sometimes some of the biggest, the world's biggest business opportunities. So, so I'm curious, I mean, with, with these technologies, right, it's been, you know, it's been said that necessity is the, the mother of invention or innovation, uh, depending on which, which quotes you believe. And I know you're a firm believer in sort of, you know, innovation by 
by design, so taking a more of a futuristic perspective. You know, 2020 was such a year where, you know, we had to sometimes actually go into scarcity to 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 invent. You know, big fashion houses just went, we're not going to sell any dresses, so let's do face masks. Um, or, you know, manufacturers going, we're not going to sell anything of this, so let's make, you know, PPE instead. Um or visors, or whatever it happened to be. So, I'm just I'm just curious. What, what were the sort of most heartening types of both you know short term innovations, but also you know longer term technologies that maybe came backwards from the future in a sense that you that you saw, hey, this was really cool. I didn't think that this was going to get launched in 2020, but it did. Or just something totally from the you know from left of center that uh, that you thought this is really heartening types of you know an intersection of humanity and technology that just bursts with creativity. I think you touched on it there with the term on what would what humans needed. And so all of these businesses that shifted and going from dresses to face masks is a great example of what will humans need. And so those businesses that did pivot quickly and you saw stories of breweries that were then making hand sanitizer and just the incredible pivots that people made was just shifting to what humans need and where's the market and what's selling at the moment. And we all went back to that. We needed our base needs met and, um, you know, toilet paper, food and staying at home was huge themes. So I think, that was great to be able to see. And I know that we open sourced a lot of different technology to be able to create a vaccine. And typically vaccines take 10 years plus, and then they go through a huge trial process. But the ability that we had to open source and be able to test and use machine learning to be able to predict a lot of futures completely expedited the vaccines. So that's probably the biggest one for 2020. The most relevant to the people that would be, be listening and watching would be just working from anywhere. And the term working from home has been interesting, but I wonder if working from anywhere could be a great shift because we've all got laptops now, we're all online, people are willing to meet you anytime, anywhere. I joke about the future of jet lag because I've been presenting at three o'clock in the morning or four o'clock in the morning in Switzerland and, you know, you kind of put your lights on and you set your alarm and you wake up and there you are. Whereas in the past, when you're on a plane, you used to travel and you might have been tired for the first day or two to get in the rhythm and time zone of the location that you're in. Now it's kind of like if you do that once or twice a week and you're a little bit off with your time zones, that's the future of work. Yeah, I sometimes have uh, clients like, yeah, a, yeah, a new client of mine in, in um, Iowa and Des Moines. Um, they're like, are you going to be okay to present at, you know, the equivalent of, you know, 2.30 a.m. Sydney time? And I'm like, well, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, another organization flew me flew me to, to Des Moines and, uh, you know, I left on the same day in Australia, turned up, um, you know, close to midnight and then got up the next morning, 6 a.m. And, 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 and presented and no one was asking questions about, about jet lag then. And now there's sort of this, you know, there's this emotional intelligence around, okay, well, you do live, live in different time zones. I think an increasing awareness of that as well. So, yeah, we certainly do, you know, 
time shift now. I'm just thinking, you know, so, so you know, bionics, um, robotics, artificial intelligence, VR, augmented reality, etc. I mean, these these are all, you know huge technologies. We think that you know they, these get you know invented in you know Austin and and, and Bangalore and, and Silicon Valley and Stockholm and of course Newcastle. Um, you know, for, for you know, you and I are both members of the Entrepreneurs Organization, which is you know an organization that you know helps foster entrepreneurship and and is really there kind of as a community of of small business entrepreneurs. If 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 you're an entrepreneur or a business owner listening to this, what, you know, what are some technologies or, or pieces of software that you think can really help them unleash more of their human creativity or, or help them in what has inevitably been a, you know, a really, really tough time. Trying to think of how the best way to, to frame this would be. Uh, if we embrace our, our superhero, so let's imagine, so I'm Iron Man, uh, and I'm Luke Skywalker. You're Luke yeah. Skywalker. And, you know, we have Superman here and we've got a couple of other, we've got Spider-Man's there and the, the Avengers are there, Wonder Woman's here, uh, Care Bears. I love the Care Bears. We can Care Bears there. We're all here. And uh, so as a business owner, thinking about your own inner superhero powers, I'd like to invite you to come to the Avengers headquarters and think about some of those technologies. And so whatever the challenge is in your business, knowing that you've got access to different technologies and you don't know what's in there. There's all sorts of different new technology and innovation that's being created at the Avengers headquarters. But as you walk in and you're like, I've actually got this problem. What have you actually created or what could I utilize to be able to solve this problem? Knowing that you've got access to that kind of thing then helps you expand your mindset of what problem are we actually solving? What do humans need? What could they need? What's a good avenue I always like to use the plastics example. 50 years ago, we didn't really have plastic and now we've destroyed the planet with it. And so if you actually think about business models like Adidas or Adidas for our American friends, is that they made 12 million pairs of shoes from great ocean plastic last year and they've redesigned a shoe that's completely made of one material so that they can recycle it. So rather than having to pull apart the laces and have human labor to recycle a shoe, they 3D print with one material. When you finish with your shoe, you send it back, they break it down, they 3D print it into a new shoe. And that's a really cool new use of 3D printing and technology and, um, and plastics. So as a business owner, I think one of the biggest things for me was understanding that you're not in it alone. And particularly in Australia, we have organizations like CSIRO, like Ansto. There's a number of incubators around that if you have an idea, whether you're a business owner, entrepreneur, or if you're about to go into business, understanding what you're passionate about and what the problem is and knowing you've got access to technology, you might not be able to, you might not, might not be able to solve it right now. However, asking the right questions and leveraging technology can make a huge impact. And I think it's people that will adopt that early and understand that mindset and framework early that will be able to be the most successful going forward. Yeah, because I think of, you know, when I think of exponential technologies, I mean, you know, even in, in our own business at Think, you know, I think of, you know, prepare once, use often, you know, you know, we're having this conversation and it will be, you know, it'll get used often, you know, it will spread on Spotify, you know, your local podcatchers, you know, on, on Wistia, on, on, on YouTube, on, on the blog, on, you know, across social media. And it's like, you know, we had this dialogue once and, 
you know, we used it often. I mean, that, that to me is, you know, scalability, right? When I think of, you know, our usage of Ciro as an accounting piece of software, right? You know, just like, you know, you prepare once, you know, and it gets used often. You know, I do a couple of reconciliations and, and, and the system learns through artificial intelligence how to, you know, reconcile certain transactions. Um, I think, the, you know, these are technologies that also like, are, you know, very sort of tangible and that help help me on an everyday basis. I I think of, and we just, we just bought a new car, like, you know, like, you know, incentivized by Australia's taxation laws um and you know the you know the in uh in-house or the in-car technology is amazing with you know augmented reality with all the sensors with you know the, you know safety mechanisms but also just in terms of the technology being so you know so intuitive voice generated so i can be a lot more productive when i'm on on the road as well uh, and again, the, you know the, the the entertainment system, the navigation system, the you know, Apple CarPlay learns my voice both in Swedish and in, in and in Australian, uh, and it learns over time that maybe you know next time I don't have to go. Okay, you know I'm going home because it recognizes that I'm you know traveling home, so I don't have to do those entries if I want to hack traffic, for example. Um, so there's so many technologies right now that you know do help make our our, our lives better. You, you alluded to to smart cities, and I had a I had a podcast interview the other the other day with Kone, which is um, a Finnish company that produces amazing elevators and escalators for for high rises. And you've probably been in a Kone elevator doing an elevator pitch at some stage in your life. Um, and they talk about you know urban flow as hopefully at some stage we will go back to some level of you know working with humans face to face and 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 they talk about you know the future of smart cities which you've touched upon but they also talk about retrofitting smarts onto existing infrastructure and i think given we're nearly in the sort of end zone here i'm curious to see you know metaphorically or or, or otherwise whether there's you know, certain technologies that you think we need to retrofit um, either onto humans, you know, our cars, our buildings, our toilets, uh, our sewage systems, uh, whatever it happens to be that, you know, excite you and that you think are, are truly transformative. I know definitely whatever it's going to take to help us show up as our best self and then have like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, have our base needs met. And so if that's food at home, if that's shelter with different ways of living, if that's transportation, I love autonomous vehicles. I'd love to actually uh, have some Uber uh, Air come and pick me up here outside and then be able to have drone technology take me down to Sydney. I think that in every area of life, there's going to be these huge changes. And so as long as it's helping us sharp as our best self and having a positive impact on the environment, I think as we dematerialize a lot of things. So, you know, in the past, when we talk about dematerialization, my phone's now got, you know, my music collection, it's got my book collection, it's got a torch, it's got everything I need, where we used to have a lot of different stuff and things. So being a little bit more minimalist, having less impact on the environment, I think we can retrofit our, retrofit our lives to be able to have a better impact. So our, reduce our carbon footprint and be able to go forward in a more conscious way would be really cool. Yeah, because I, I mean, I think about that a lot. And, you know, we have a, we have a, 
again, I'm just trying to go get my lefts and rights wrong, but if you look behind Lisa there, uh, on your right somewhere, there's a little place called Mackerel Beach and it's on pit waters on the other side of the water um, where the Hawkesbury divides Newcastle from Sydney. Um, and we've got a cabin there and it's, uh, you know, we, you know, we go there when, you know, because we love escaping. It's in the Kurungai National Park, so it's a great place to, you know, sort of disconnect from digital connectivity. But at the same time, it's a hyper-connected place. So it's, you know, it's a beautiful little cabin uh, set in the treetops. Um, but we also, you know, we rented out on Airbnb. And so, and one of my biggest gripes, and, 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 and my wife calls it my water anxiety, is the fact that we harvest uh, rainwater. And so the only source of water we have is, is our tank water that's harvested. And you never quite know how much water the Airbnb guests will, will will go through. So it was a little bit of a sort of, you know, how how much water? Is it 300 litres a day? Is it 600 litres a day? And if it rains, you know, based on the surface area, how much are we going to capture and be able to, to store? And it's just been a, you know, mathematical exercise for me until I installed a little bit piece of IoT or Internet of Things device called a Davy water tank sensor uh, combined with a with a remote weather station that I can you know remotely monitor on an app so I know exactly how much water uh, is still in the water tank um, it also forecasts the usage uh, based on the Airbnb guests that we have um, how many days of water I have left and then combined with weather patterns etc uh, I can then uh, see whether we need to ship more water in or if we need to extend uh, you know the capture area for for harvesting water etc so I'm sort of you know, I'm retrofitting smarts with a simple $250 device uh, that's given me a, a sleep at night factor that I'm very, very thankful for and, and um, stopped uh, having dinner conversations every night about, I wonder how much water is in our tanks at the moment and having to go and tap them. So I think you'll see that in a lot more different areas as well. And so as we get more and more technology and it gets cheaper every couple of years, Imagine that 80% of all of the things that you do are quite routine and can be automated. Do you need a sensor on the salt and pepper in that Airbnb? And can you actually measure all of the things that you provide and, you know, how many fresh uh, towels are there and linen and, you know, sensors to be able to restock and have your robots restock the linen cupboard potentially in the future? And then, you know, relay that back to home. It's like what kind of thing, imagine if you can know anything anywhere, anytime in your phone, knows uh, when your fridge is getting low on a certain item. I know that vodka come out early, one of the vodka companies, and they put a sensor in their vodka bottle. And then whenever it got to like a quarter left in the bottle, it would automatically reorder and then send you and ship you another one. Some of those it's things. A, it's a huge market for that in Sweden where I'm from, of course. Yes. <laughs> I think it's um, going to be really interesting the way that we can actually augment our lives and automate them into the future which gives the question of what are we going to do with that extra productivity and that extra time that we have on our hands and how can we best utilize that? I, I think that's a huge question and, and, and maybe we'll bring it to a close around this kind of point of like, you know, what's, what's our, you know, life purpose? What's our mission? And we've heard about, you know, the mission and the vision of, you know, Peter Diamandis and Ray Kurzweil and yourself as, you know, as, as key contributors to Singularity University around transformation and impacting a billion lives. 
And I think, you know, that sort of, you know, that question comes up for each and every one of us now. Um, I know the, the Japanese call it ikigai or, or, or life's purpose. And I think, you know, increasingly it's, it's that, that sort of, you know, sweet spot where what you're passionate about, what you're good at, what the world needs and what you can get paid for actually, you know, concentrically uh, meet somewhere in the middle. And perhaps technology is the thing that, you know, will help us really kind of live that life purpose as well hopefully ushering in a, in a in a second renaissance of human creativity entrepreneurship and, and social impact have you got any any final any final thoughts or or reflections on what the world beyond the virus or the the next renaissance might might look and feel like absolutely i think for me that life is too short to be working on something that you're not passionate about and most people feel it now they know when they're doing something that they really love and I'm obsessed with the neuroscience of that. And so at the moment, if you think about a flow state, if you think about the activities you're doing or the conversations that you have that really light you up, follow that. And so follow that, ask questions around that. Why are you excited about that? Why do you really enjoy that? And then as you dig deeper down into that rabbit hole of purpose is, um, you know, the flow state will really guide the way. And I think that a lot of people have realized last year that life is too short and that they want to be working on things that are meaningful to them. They're also standing up for what they believe in. They're speaking out, trust, transparency, as I said before. So it's really that embracing you're in a uh, superhero, you're in a self. I love the Ikigai uh, concept around that passion and purpose and being able to do what's going to really light you up. And so I hope that a lot of people in 2021 will actually go down that track and they'll find the things that really light them up and do more of it because that's what will make the world better. Cool. Thank you very much. And thank you for engaging in what has certainly been a, you know, a flow state for me as well. This dialogue has been really, really good. Some really good narrative, some great you know, science fiction stories uh, from the future all that actually relate to my ikigai. So I'm getting sort of goosebumps from, from, from that. And um, of course, if anyone wants to learn a little bit more about flow, check out Mihai, Six Cent Mihai. Hopefully I'm uh, pronouncing that correctly according to all of our Hungarian listeners today as well. Um, Lisa Andrews, thank you so much uh, for being with us here and being a sort of pharaoh of, of the future. That's a pharaoh of, of the future, according to my Swedish Australian accent um, and thank you for sharing science fiction stories from the future that are becoming science fact today thank you so much for having me